reading from Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Matthew 1, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, good morning. Uh, before we begin, let me pray. Before I pray, I've just moved a baby doll. I've never done that before. Father God in heaven, uh, we thank you so much for your word. And Father, we would ask that by your spirit, uh, you would teach us this morning about your son, the Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. It was 10 years ago, December 2010. I was trying to get my first full-time permanent job, and I was on a long run of rejections. Eventually, I got an interview. It was at the Warrington Guardian. I'm sure you've heard of that bastion of journalistic excellence. And it went really well. I kind of knew that I had it in the bag. And I got a call back the next day. Uh, Mr. Elliot, hello. Uh, we're delighted to be able to offer you the job. I was absolutely thrilled. Finally, I'd been accepted. Uh, but then uh, something happened. Uh, you, you know when you don't get a job and then you spend the next few days just daydreaming that maybe you'll get a phone call and they'll say, oh, we're terribly sorry, we made a mistake. Oh, we're terribly sorry, we actually meant to offer you the job after all. Well, that happened to me except the complete opposite. I got a call. Hello, Mr. Elliot. Yes, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this, but the job that we told you you had is actually now unavailable. It was an absolute sucker punch. I'd been made redundant before I'd even had my first day. I'd gone from being fully accepted to totally rejected. And every day, each of us make decisions to accept or, or reject things, don't we? Uh, some are trivial, uh, like when we're offered a, a mince pie four full weeks before Christmas. Uh, come on, we've all put our Christmas trees up early. I'm sure we can dabble in some mince pies too. But we also have other decisions that are, that are far more important than that, uh, whether or not to accept uh, the promotion or, or the house offer 
or the school place. But there's one area of life in which we all absolutely have to either accept or reject. There's one person whom we each have to accept or, or reject. And the consequences are not just important, they're eternal. That person is Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's what we saw last week, wasn't it? Matthew stated those things to us in the first verse of his eyewitness account of Jesus' life. He told us that Jesus, the Savior, fulfills all God's promises because he is the Messiah, Israel's king for all nations. And as we look at this next passage this morning, instead of simply stating those things, he's going to begin to show us them. And he has to show us them because last week's passage actually ended with a problem. We'd, we didn't get a chance to properly ponder verse 16. Please have Matthew 1 open in front of you. But after that long list of fathers each of whom were sons or descendants of Abraham and then David. Matthew wrote in verse 16, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. There was some ambiguity. Precisely what relationship did Joseph have with Jesus? And therefore, what relationship did Jesus have with Joseph, David, and Abraham? Is this baby really Israel's king for all nations? Is he really the son of David? Well, that's the question that this passage sets out to answer. Matthew has given us a, a wide lens shot of the record of Jesus' birth in verses 1 to 17, a view that spans thousands of years of history. Uh, but now he zooms in. And in verse 18, he says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Uh, so firstly, we see that there is jeopardy. Joseph rejects Jesus. Uh, we're introduced to a couple, uh, Mary and Joseph. And we don't really know that much more about them for all we hear about them at this time of year. Matthew doesn't focus on Mary, instead he focuses on Joseph. Mary and Joseph's relationship status doesn't fit easily into our modern definitions. It, it's not really that they were engaged in the same way that, say, Yian and Kirsty are engaged. We see in verse 18 that they were pledged to be married. This was a legally binding agreement, even though the marriage itself wouldn't begin for a year. If you forgive the analogy, it's a little bit like the Scottish system for buying a house. Except, um, if you make an offer and it's accepted in Scotland, then that's it. You're in. You've bought the house. So be very careful making house offers north of the border. There was an exclusivity to Mary and Joseph's relationship. There was no going back except through an official divorce. But at the same time, they weren't yet living together, uh, nor sleeping together. And that is very important. Matthew couldn't be clearer about that. Uh, because in verse 18, Matthew tells us that Mary was found to be pregnant 
through the Holy Spirit. There's something supernatural about this birth. There's something miraculous about this conception. But Matthew chooses his words really carefully. There were plenty of crass myths at the time about the origins of both Greek and Roman gods. Uh, Myths that often involve lurid stories of relationship between uh, gods and women. Uh, But that is not what Matthew hints at here. He says, carefully, Mary was found to be pregnant. It's in the passive tense. God worked through the Holy Spirit, who, who was long expected to be involved when the Messiah came, and Mary became pregnant. The way it's worded has echoes of the genealogy that we saw in the first half of Matthew 1, so that we're left scratching our heads once again. Whose son is this? Matthew doesn't spell anything else out for us here. It's just a hint, a clue. But we have to note that this is not an ordinary birth. This baby is different. But... This baby is definitely not Joseph's. So imagine how Joseph felt uh, from his point of view, knowing that he's not been involved. There's only one conclusion that he can come to. uh, Mary must have been unfaithful. And we see in verse 19 that he was faithful to the law. And so because of his integrity, he couldn't now marry her. Uh, But he he was a kind man. He he could have made it hard for Mary, uh, muddied her reputation further, uh, but instead he decided to privately and quietly end the relationship. Uh, The relationship between the couple is now over, and Joseph has decided to reject Jesus. Uh, There is great jeopardy here in the story for the baby, uh, the son of David, This unborn child is struggling to cling on to his place on the throne. He's about to lose his rightful claim. But secondly, we see deliverance because a messenger offers good news. Let me read verse 20. But after he, that's Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God is involved again. Not only is he working through the Holy Spirit to bring about the birth of Jesus, he's also working by sending a messenger to ensure that Joseph doesn't reject the child. God sends an angel, another hint at the miraculous nature of this birth, to give Joseph a message. And these aren't angelic words, they're divine words. Just notice that the angel calls him Joseph, son of David. It's emphasizing the jeopardy of the situation. Joseph, you're the one that's the son of David, so you can't reject this child. And we know This part of the story, the angel explains there's nothing to fear. Mary has done nothing wrong. She is as faithful as you are, so don't divorce her. Take her home as your wife, because the child is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph finds out what we already know from verse 18. 
Things go from divorce to deliverance. The situation is not what Joseph had feared. His nightmare is over. But the angel then goes on. Look at verse 21. The angel says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. We thought about this verse very briefly last week. There's a gender reveal. It's a boy. Paint the bedroom blue, Joseph. But we might miss the nuance of what the angel says next. The angel says, you are to give him the name Jesus. The responsibility to name the son lies with the legal guardian, the father. But we've already established that Joseph's not the father. We think that maybe somehow Matthew is hinting at something about the child's father, but here God tells Joseph to name him, and by doing so, to accept him. And so the baby would be a son of David. Joseph is to adopt Jesus. He's to be his earthly father and give him an earthly home and a place in the line of kings. And that name, Jesus, is then explained to us. We saw last week that Jesus is from the Hebrew name Joshua. And the name Joshua means the Lord of salvation. But we said that that's not just trivia, uh, the answer to a quiz question for Jesus. It's a reality because the meaning of this baby's name is the goal of his birth. He is born to be a savior from sin. Sin is when people reject God as their king and crown themselves instead. They take for themselves the right to decide whatever they want, and they ignore any and all of God's laws. That is sin, rejecting God's way and his kingship and going your own way and claiming kingship for yourself. And that sin is what Jesus will save his people from. But the angel's words here are actually an allusion to an Old Testament psalm from Psalm 130. Gareth has helpfully already read that at the start of our service this morning. And that psalm is a cry from someone in the depths of despair because of their sin. They're so aware of it that they say, if you, Lord, kept a record of our sins, who could stand? And the rhetorical question has a silent answer of no one. But the psalm doesn't end there. Here's the last two verses. We read them earlier. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will save his people from their sins. But why does Matthew draw our attention to this psalm? How is it that the psalm can say that God himself will save his people from their sins? And yet Matthew says Jesus will save his people from their sins. What is going on? Well, thirdly, we see fulfillment as Ahaz rejects Emmanuel. Now, bear with me for a moment. I know that we've got some kids with us. 
we've seen Jesus, we've seen Mary and Joseph, an angel, but who's Ahaz? Where did he come from? Okay, well, we've actually already met Ahaz in Matthew chapter 1, back in verse 9. He's in that section of kings in the genealogy. He is one of Israel's evil kings. Before we meet him properly, uh, let me read Matthew 1, verse 22 and 23, uh, because after the angel speaks to Joseph, Matthew comments, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. All of this, Matthew says, the conception, the birth, the naming, all of this happened in order to fulfill a prophecy. We saw last week that Jesus was the Messiah who fulfilled God's promises. Well, here Matthew takes us back to a prophecy that was made to King Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7. And when, when Matthew or, or any New Testament author quotes from the Old Testament, they have an expectation that at least some of the original readers would understand not just the one individual verse or few words that he's quoting, but the wider context of the quote. Now, I'll be honest, Matthew's expectation was not in any way, shape, or form met in me. I didn't get it. Uh, but I've been really helped this way this week by looking at the context that we're going to spend a few minutes in now. Uh, so turn back to Isaiah 7 if you would like to. And, and if you just track with this for the next four minutes or so, I'm sure it will be worth it for all of us. You see, early in King Ahaz's reign, uh, two neighboring kings of small kingdoms invaded the land and marched on Jerusalem, the capital city. Uh, twice in Isaiah 7, in verse 2 and 13, Isaiah refers to the house of David. It's David's house that is in jeopardy. But the Lord's messenger says to Ahaz in verse 4, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. C can you just see how Matthew has been building his picture in Matthew 1, alluding to this passage all along? The house of David is in jeopardy, but a messenger from the Lord is sent to say, don't be afraid. Ahaz was told not to be afraid because the invasion would ultimately be unsuccessful. And two things happen. Firstly, in verse 9, he's told to stand firm in his faith. He is to have faith in God's message that the invasion will not succeed. And then secondly, in verse 10, Ahaz is told to ask God for a sign, presumably a supernatural piece of evidence that will confirm for him the truth of what he's been told. Ring any bells from Matthew 1? God graciously offers a sign to Ahaz, but Ahaz rejects the offer. It's unbelief just dressed up as piety. He's not living by faith in God's message. He's rejected God. He's got his own plan, so he wants no part of the sign. And so in verse 14, Isaiah says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God gives him a sign whether he wanted it or not. 
the sign of a child called Emmanuel. You see, Ahaz's plan was that against these two neighboring kings, he was going to sign a treaty with the king of Assyria, a mighty nation. And he was going to trust in the king of Assyria to deliver him from his enemies. So Isaiah continues, and he tells Ahaz that before this child Emmanuel has grown up too much, Assyria would come, and they would get rid of the invaders, but then they wouldn't leave. They would be about as hard to remove as the Euphrates in flood. Ahaz had rejected the sign of Emmanuel that the Lord had given him, and so instead he would be punished. One more minute in Isaiah. Because in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8, the context for this quote is rather large, the prophet cries to Emmanuel once more, but this time it's in the context of judgment because of Ahaz's rejection. And then two verses later, in verse 10, he explains what the name means. God is with us. That's what Matthew says in Matthew 1. So when Matthew quotes Isaiah 7, 14, he clearly also wants us to have Isaiah 8 in mind. And that's not all, because through the rest of chapter 8, the situation gets increasingly dark. These are the last two verses of chapter 8. They will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into darkness. If you reject God's sign, God's Emmanuel, if you sin, this is what happens. Punishment. Darkness. If you reject God with us, then God will only be with you to punish you. But then what's the bright hope that we see in Isaiah chapter 9? A great light dawning. It's a classic Christmas reading, isn't it? That culminates in verses 6 to 7. You'll know this, but let me read it. And remember that Matthew wants this whole context from Isaiah 7, 1 to 9, 7 to be borne in mind when he quotes Isaiah 7, 14. So all of the hints and the clues that he's been dropping about this baby in Matthew 1, about Jesus, Emmanuel, get brought together here. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See how many messianic Son of David themes come together in those two verses? This is the child Ahaz has rejected. This is what Ahaz has missed out on. Now take a breath. That was a whistle stop, just about scratching the surface tour of Isaiah 7, 8, and 9. We've done very well this morning. Don't worry if you didn't catch every detail. But Matthew takes Isaiah 7, 14 
And he really wants us to bear all of this context in mind when we think of the birth of Jesus. So here's where all that comes together. Matthew's been dropping hints along the way. This child is born in miraculous circumstances. We hope he's the son of David, but who is the father? What does the involvement of the Holy Spirit mean? The child's name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. But how can that be true when the Lord has said that he himself would save his people from their sins? What's Joseph got to do with anything? Why does Jesus have this second name, Emmanuel? Why does it mean God with us? And what does all of that have to do with Isaiah 9? Who is this son with the plethora of names, including mighty God? Who is this child who, who will sit on David's throne and whose kingdom will last forever? I hope you see. Isaiah was pointing us forward to this child that we see in Matthew 1. And Matthew wants us to see that not only is Jesus truly the son of David, the son of Joseph, but the son of God. He is God with us. God come to save his people himself from their sins. And so finally, Matthew points us to obedience as Joseph accepts Jesus. That's how the story concludes. Joseph obeys the word of God. He changes his mind between verses 19 and 24 because of what the angel said. So he wakes up, does what he's told, and takes Mary home as his wife. And he names the child. He names him Jesus. And in doing so, legally accepts him as his own. The narrative is resolved. Jesus is the son of David because Joseph accepts Jesus. So to go back at the very end to what we thought about at the beginning. We have a decision to make before this child this morning. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, Emmanuel, mighty God. I pray you've seen the richness of that this morning. He is God himself come to save his people from their sins. And what saves his people from their sins? Uh, Gareth told us earlier, didn't he? Uh, not this virgin birth, uh, but the vicious death. When he was older, when he was crucified, God himself saving his people from their sins. People who had rejected him as king and were facing his punishment. But people for whom Jesus, God's son, Emmanuel, took the punishment on himself. Ahaz rejected the sign of Emmanuel. Ahaz trusted in his own plans, his own ways instead of God's ways, and so he was punished. Joseph obeyed God. Joseph accepted Jesus, and he adopted him, and they became a family. 
the question that Matthew is asking us from this passage and the wider context is, will you accept Jesus this morning? I urge you to accept Jesus, the son of David, Emmanuel, God himself who will save his people from their sins. And if you have, I pray that you would delight in the richness and the greatness and the incredible nature of the birth of the Son of God who was born to be with you. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, we do indeed come before you humble and with great thanks for what you have done for us. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his birth. We thank you that though Matthew has dropped clues, we can see the bigger picture, that he is God himself come to save his people from their sins. We ask that anyone this morning who hears this word and hasn't yet accepted him would. And for those of us who have, that we would fall down once again in humble worship and adoration of him as our saviour. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. I have just realised that I do not know what's happening next. So I'm going to trust someone else. Gareth has stood up. And Gareth will tell us what is happening next. I'm sorry, bro. We're going to invite the music group up and we're going to sing Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Well, as you know, they're going to sing. We're going to stand and we're going to rejoice in our hearts in the wonderful words of this hymn. Let's stand together when the music group are ready.